Let's go. GM friends, and welcome to the very first episode of the Future of Gaming. In this series, our goal is to provide you weekly overviews and insights into what's happening in the intersection of blockchain technology and video games. In the spirit of Web3, our goal is to set up the future of gaming as a tokenized community and eventually, over time, evolve it into a full-blown DAO. More details will follow in the coming weeks, but if you want to be one of our first members, you can head over to thefutureofgaming.wtf and also join our Discord where we hang out. My name is Nicola Vreke. I'm joined by Philip Collins and Devin Becker. And today we have as our topics Axie Governments, well, Governments, no, Governance and the Axie Builder Program. We're talking about Merits versus YGG and the Illuvium land sale and maybe some other stuff that comes up as well. Um, but first, who are we? I'll, I'll start with a quick intro on myself. So my, my name is Nicola Vreke or Nico um, is the name I go by because that's easier to pronounce for the, everyone out there, basically. Um, my main daily activity is uh, I'm, a, I'm a venture capital investor investing in blockchain and games with Bitcraft Ventures. Um, next to that, some of you may know me from the Metacast. It's another podcast um, that I do with Navic. Um, yeah, we're also talk about blockchain and gaming. Then Phil, Philip Collins. Yeah, of course. Hey, I'm uh, Philip Collins. Uh, I'm part of the investment team at Convoy Ventures, uh, which is a gaming dedicated VC fund that primarily focuses on platform infrastructure and tech uh, within the gaming ecosystem. Um, that basically means I spend all day every day thinking about what the future of gaming looks like. Um, so excited to bring all of that into these conversations with, with Nico and Devin. Boom. By the way, I just realized I'm outnumbered by VCs here. Yeah, that's just, and, and they're the bad ones, so yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Devin. Uh, yeah, so I am uh, doing a lot of different uh, tokenomics-related stuff, e economy design, things like that, uh, mostly related from, or mostly from kind of the game design side of things, uh, but also into the economy design. So my uh, my main gig is uh, with NAMI. Uh, we're building out like an analytics platform, um, like a more a advanced and explanatory version of something like Dune in a way. Um, so that'll be hopefully coming out live soon. And then also doing a lot of consulting on the side uh, for various projects that need help with their tokenomics or game design. Um, just trying to help better the economies out here so that the entire space doesn't crash, really, is, is my main goal at this point. Nice. I've been seeing uh, your name pop up in decks, by the way, Devin. I've told you, right? There was this, this game that I got, and then I saw, like, thanks to Devin Becker. And I'm like, hey, I know that name. Um, so that's, that's, that's good to it's know. It's always nice when you... Yeah, right, and well, when you find it just popping up around. Exactly. Well, yeah, and gonna, <coughs> I, I still haven't I'm figured tell people out. people start trading on my name if they're gonna do pitch decks. I was gonna right? say like, you can't put yeah. your pitch deck without putting. Yeah, it's a, that's a stamp of a high quality project. I don't know yet. I'll have to see. I'll have to see if that's <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and also, Phil, have we done a deal together before? You and I haven't directly. Um, no. No. We our uh, organizations. Yes, definitely in the past. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of intersection in, in gaming VC, so it's uh everyone. It's not that big. The no, world, it's not uh, that big. When it comes to gaming for, for how big yeah. the gaming industry is as a whole, it's actually pretty incredible how kind of small the pool of dedicated capital is, or at least the number of you know institutions that are that are devoted to gaming. Mm -hmm. well, now A16Z basically gets to swallow everyone, <laughs> right, with their bajillion dollar fund. I think at this point, like, why even attach a number? Just say we have money. Yeah. It's fine. Enough money. Yeah, exactly. How much? Enough. Yeah, we have enough. We'll be good. No worries. What do you need? Blank check. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's let's dive in, right? Um, first thing I want to touch upon, and it's related to what we're doing, right? Uh, as I said, we're trying to uh, turn this community into a DAO over time. Um, this DAO will involve tokens. It will involve NFTs. Probably soulbound NFTs, which is a new hype, which we can go into later. Um, but related to that, um, Axie is doing something similar. So they're taking governance serious. So yesterday I saw a post, post of the Axie Infinity Twitter. Um, today we reveal our forum for token-gated community discussions hosted by commonwealth.im. Um, I had I headed over there. I connected my Ronin wallet. And so it's, it's basically a discussion forum that is token-gated. So you log in, you lo you connect your wallets. They know if you have axes, if you have AXS, um, and there you can. Um, yeah, there's there's governance discussions going on. I haven't been able to vote yet. I assume that that will be possible in the future. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's going on there. So they're they're taking steps into the the governance direction. It feels like until now they were mostly assessing the community feedback in Discord, which might be like 
I think that's really hard to do, especially if you have a Discord with like more than half a million members. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's that there. It's like okay, press the button. Which idea you like? And and here people can actually like give feedback. Probably better than taking it off Twitter though. Yeah, that's true. Honest, like a Twitter votes. Yeah. Why why do you play Axie Infinity for the deep and engaging economy? <laughs> for the fun? And that, that's the thing they did. No, the um, Twitter polls. I play it for the Twitter polls. <laughs> All right. So um, yeah, Sh should we okay? G give your thoughts on governance of games um maybe devin you, you've you've have experience in in building games so wh what are your thoughts there i've actually been part of a player like when i was game design lead on a on a project we actually had a player council and so it was pretty interesting to see governance from that perspective where um it was more of a representative democracy and i felt like that worked a little bit better than all of these direct democracy ideas mm -hmm. where like you know like you go back to u.s history and founding fathers even were like direct democracy is not a great idea and that's why the U.S. ended up with a representative democracy. And I think there was there was definitely some value there. It, but it was interesting to see, like, this idea of, um, like, Eve does it too, right, where you have people campaigning for their spots and things like that. And it, it's hard to not get political when you have that, that as well, right? Like, then it's just pers cult personality and things like that. So mm -hmm. there's, there's give and take. But I did find it interesting to see this idea of um, having representative democracy where you're having people represent different parts of the player base i found that to be really successful in that like this representative is, is representing this type of player and this type of player mm. and then they all kind of had a voice and that that allowed us to have really productive discussions where because uh, the thing is when you're a game developer and you're trying to explain things to the masses a good chunk of the masses willfully misunderstands everything you're saying uh whereas when you're like in a deep conversation with just a small group of like six people that represent the thing you can actually have good in-depth discussions where you can communicate the objectives and the design goals and constraints of the game design and, and the game development and have them understand and then they can help you understand the the parts of the player base that you might not understand because generally game developers don't have time to play their game regularly enough outside of qa most of the time you are spending just grinding away at making the game and you like lightly test it as you're coding it to make sure the code works but you're not really super engaged in the game the way a player is mm -hmm. and so having that kind of in between i think i think that model and i think maybe we go to that with delegated uh you know sorts of governance i think going that direction would probably be the ideal way to do it and i think it's a cool idea, not to say that there aren't downsides, like I said. So I think it's going to take a lot of evolution. Um, I, I think it was the, the Bankless podcast that I was listening to the other day that was referencing the idea of speedrunning through both uh, the history of banking and the history of governance. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're kind of we're mm -hmm. getting there, right, where we're kind of trying to see what works as fast as possible. And it's going to be very interesting because we're in a situation now where governance is not just uh, enforced by uh, politicians and police and military, things like that. But now we've got code participating in this idea and i think that's a new thing that we're gonna you know this is practice for us for when we have ai take over and rule the world like you know we're gonna try and make sure skynet is a good smart contract basically mm. yeah that's no i mean it, it's interesting because community governance is now just an intrinsic part of, of web3 gaming right such a such a big portion of what's been happening recently and such a such a unique aspect of what's happened in web3 gaming in the early stages is that switch from the top down uh, style of not only creating but also monitoring a game uh, during its life cycle is now been entirely flipped around and the community wants to be involved um, that's you know part of the ethos of, of this entire ecosystem um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because there there are great aspects of that where you know the community's voice is heard in development and the community does truly get what it's get what it wants um, but as as Devin mentioned some of the dangers of that um, which we'll get to in the, in the next topic we address as well you know self-interest will eventually kind of rule this space and um, while while you know having a community built around a token seems like everyone would probably be aligned and kind of on the same page gaming is in such a unique place right now where instead of having that unified community you really are balancing the speculators with the players and i think a lot of times what you see between those two groups is almost inversely related where you know players want what's best for the game speculators want the the, the asset price to go up and a lot of times as the asset price goes up assuming that the in-game items are tied to that token you're actually kind of depleting um, a lot of the value of the game at the same time, making assets more expensive, making them less attainable for the people that want to play. And so it's going to be really interesting to see that balance that, that was mentioned around how do you make sure the community has a voice without giving so much free reign 
that you you just kind of see uh, community generated chaos. And I think that'll that'll be really interesting. But institutionalizing this and having a more structured approach, I think is a net benefit for everyone versus trying to manage this in Discord. And it'll be interesting to see the tools and tech that continue to facilitate DAOs and making sure that community voting structures aren't a mess because I think today it is hard to get thousands of people to, to vote on something and come to a unified conclusion mm -hmm. that you know, isn't too contentious. Um, so I'm excited to see what's next in that space. I'm sure that's a topic that will come up often uh, in our conversations. Yeah. It feels like the way it's going right now is I think every game designer agrees that major game decisions should not be made by vote by the gamers, right? Um, and so it seems that a lot of them are agreeing that basically you choose what they vote on and it's going to be non like trivial things basically. So, you know, oh, what do you want the color of this to be? Um, oh, yeah, you have a, a clear voice. Our community has a clear voice in our game. I'm interested in the concept of, of delegations. Um, the, the two that come to mind is ENS, like where it's, so basically there was an ENS airdrop and more recently you had the optimistic optimism airdrop. Uh, so those were two protocols, blockchain protocols, where, you know, if you participated in, in it, you could receive airdrops, uh, receive tokens for free. But if you wanted to claim them, you needed to delegate your votes to someone. And then you get a, got a list of people who have, who have put themselves up for delegation um, and you have them make their case. And so um, ha have we seen something like that happen within gaming? Two blank faces. I'm assuming no. <laughs> I think no. Yeah, no. I mean, on the optimism topic, though, there was an interesting kind of side effect um, that happened with the optimism airdrop was that uh, some people sold their tokens, right? They, they got the airdrop tokens, they sold them. And then there was this proposal to block yeah. the people that sold from yeah. uh, getting future airdrops. That became this big contention thing. And there was like satire, like trying to make fun of that, that idea of punishing them. But it, it did bring up an interesting topic, like this idea of votes being sellable. Mm. And, and potentially if they're staking like governance tokens or this idea of rewards themselves like if you're if you're being part of governance just straight for the profit that comes by being part of governance and things like that and i think that just brings up the whole topic of like all of this stuff is about incentive alignment right that was that was the original like undercurrent of what bitcoin was about right which which was about trustlessness through incentive alignment by making it disincentivized to do bad things and of course that's like the history of government right where like the disincentive is we'll shoot you or we'll we'll put you in jail or whatever but like this idea that we can try and do it through technology by aligning incentives in a certain way by designing incentives and that's where it starts to encroach in game design even if it's not about games is this idea of like or, or like those books like Nudge, right? Where it's about like pushing people in the right direction by just saying like, okay, the invisible hand, right? Of like, if everyone follows their self-interest and we set it up so their self-interest is in the, the common good, we can we can do that, right? But designing it like that, super mm. complicated. But, the, but that's why I like the, always the idea of like game designers becoming mm. politicians in a way because the, the idea that we, as game designers, you, you know, you can't ever solve a problem. You could just design the trade-offs. So you could say like, I'm going to make it like this because I, I know the trade-offs work better than this way. And like, I know what those will be. And hopefully I can design multiple things. So the trade-offs feed into the other thing that compensates for them and that sort of thing. But obviously, you know, governance in real life uh, is messier than it'll ever be on computers. And obviously as we start to get to like metaverse concepts, right, it starts to bleed into that idea. And I think that's going to be a lot more problematic in the future, but that's why this is the future of gaming where we're hopefully... <laughs> Got to work towards it uh, one stumble at a mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. All right. Governance. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. Um, you know, I my, my dream is that we continue the future of gaming and that, you know, in three years we can have it so that our community could vote us away from this podcast and, and vote someone else in. That's that's the goal. That's the dream, you know, where it's truly decentralized and, and the community has a strong vote. And if there's someone who can do this better than us, um, which I'm sure there are, then, uh, you know, they should be doing it. You know, that, that's what it's about. Um, Devin, okay, we, we got to watch out, Devin. Uh, Nico's going to construct the votes, uh, not let the uh, not let the community Look. create them. And it's going to be me or you getting removed. Just just right. two names. Maybe. I'm, vote I'm working on my deep fake. Already. <laughs> it's either going to be me or Mark Hamill on this podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, one of you, you two smooth voiced gentlemen to be voted as, you know, that person needs to do the intro because I'm sick of having to start this thing with Nico's voice. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That, that's what we're going towards. All right. So uh, enough on governance. Axie also had another um, 
something interesting happening. So the Axie Building or Builders program has kicked off. Devin, I saw you on the Navic Discord uh, asking people about that. I also have one interesting tidbit of information around that, but uh, Devin, you can you can kick this off. Well, I thought it was really interesting because the way it was proposed, so like there was, there's three kind of blog posts related to that, right? So you've got the original announcement back in January where they announced it as 5K in, in AXS. And they said, okay, we have 5,000 AXS to budget for this. Uh, we're going to give people $5,000 worth of AXS. And then in April, they updated that to 10,000 and, you know, added some constraints, things like that. But the weird thing about that to me was that you're saying you have X amount of AXS but the value you're going to give people in is the dollar value of the AXS, which changes second by second, right? So back when they originally announced the program, AXS was worth $78. And now it's gone all the way down to $20, right? So then you get that confusion of like, so are we still getting $10,000 worth? Are we getting, uh, you know, the AXS pegged at a certain dollar value? Uh, and it gets a little messy. Now, I, I talked to someone for the Builders program. I don't know, you know, if what they were telling me was necessarily like, any kind of privileges information, so I don't want to say like exactly what they said, but it does sound like uh, mostly that uh, the dollar value that they said is still kind of what people are going to get, um, regardless of that fluctuating AXS really? value. Although, as it goes through milestones, um, that may change in terms of the value. So it sounded a little confusing, and I'm not sure. I'll be honest; I don't think even Sky Mavis 100% has a solid plan on that, just because the way they've communicated it makes me think they're kind of adjusting it as they go. But the reason I think it's important, because they're talking about using AXS as part of that, uh, AXS is not like this infinite set of money, and its value changes all the time, and it's also something that's part of their ecosystem, and it's not necessarily like money that they just printed they can go pay people with. And so it's like you have situations, for example, like, hey, I paid $10,000 over to this builder program, and now that builder program needs to pay payroll for their people. Now they've got to cash out that AXS, right? Th you've got situations like that where they're, then, they're suddenly taking the value of AXS even more. So let's say they're paid out three milestones, right? And those milestones are actually tied to AXS price. You get all these people cashing out that first milestone. Then by the time it comes to the next milestone, AXS is worth less, right? So do they get less money? Like these kinds of problems when you're using fake money, essentially, uh, translated real money, but quoting things in, in dollar amounts, it gets very, very tricky. And I think, you know, with Axie being one of the, or Sky Mavis really being one of the, the people starting to kind of push this idea and everyone always looking at them to kind of copy stuff, I think this messiness uh, is going to have to, is going to be other people sorting it out because they're going to try and copy what Sky Mavis did and it's going to be super confusing on how you finance this stuff. And I even end up in this situation with people where they're like, hey, I'm all, can I pay for your consulting in tokens? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Then I can go ahead and crash your ecosystem when I go to cash it out. And when it comes out, it's like, I'd rather, you know, not do that situation where it's like, uh, you know, and that's why you have vesting time periods and cliffs and all that stuff. But it, it, as, as VCs, you guys know, because I'm sure you guys get tokens as part of the investments and stuff like that. It's a tricky situation because it's not real money in the truest sense. It's market driven money and that that value fluctuates. And I think this builder program is going to be really interesting to see because you get, they even said people are going to be potentially dropping out. So that fund may move around. And then you've got the whole situation on top of that of actually needing to uh, make people whole for the hack that happened. And there's always the potential that AXS becomes part of that. And so it's, they're, they're in a really complicated situation, to be honest. And I think this builder program, like, it's exciting that they're doing it. But I, I hope it doesn't end up actually blowing up in their face because of all these complexities uh, of finance that happen. Yeah, no, I think one of, the, one of the things that got me more excited about this was just kind of at the highest level. It's really interesting to see the, the Sky Mavis team try to expand the user experience of what it means to play Axie Infinity. I think, you know, Axie was, was so popular, especially, you know, back with about 12 months ago when the when that cycle really started uh, going up um, it was it was really about the the economic model more than the core gameplay loop um, and I think they're now trying to flip that around and and add experiences to their already you know large for the size of the blockchain gaming user base um, and so they're they're really trying to deepen that experience which is what I think the entire you know the entire community is really looking for right now is gameplay um, and so I, it was interesting to see their approach to taking that community first gameplay um, direction and it'll be interesting to see what it what it does for their engagement as well over time I mean it's it's hard to find anything else in, in blockchain gaming that has that that captive audience that they can tap into and so um, I'll be curious to see what the what the 
the player base feedback is once these once these new experiences are layered on top of that kind of legacy game. Um, Devin, I want to push back on what you said. I think um, one of the strengths of this blockchain technology and what it allows you to do, right? We it allows you to transfer value in a very easy way over the internet. Um, I think I fully stand by or agree with Axie or the Sky Mavis team's decision to mainly reward players in their Axie Builders program in AXS. It just aligns incentives, right? It just makes sense. And so I think, you know, the way I think this moves forward is people get rewarded in the native token of the ecosystem. And so everyone's aligned. And if you're like, you're going to start helping others in that builders program because you know that if they succeed the your reward also gets worth more so i think that like fundamentally aligns incentives in such a good way that it's it's the way forward and i think when it comes to you know fluctuations in the price and the value um that's that's a key concern there's two ways around that either there is parts of the rewards program is like the majority is in axs and w which is like more the the forward looking, which is like if this all becomes very successful, then you'll you'll like this is your put option um, or your call option on on like a successful future for this, and then a part of that to pay payroll like a base layer is maybe in in stables something like that. Um, and, and another option which I think makes even more sense or is even more crypto native is um, you know if you're part of that builder program, there will be services that will tell you like you know. At, like beforehand, so let's say that you know, as part of this builder program, you will receive let's say ten thousand AXS, and they will say, okay, every month, you pay us. Um, you, you'll essentially be able to lock in a fiat price every month, so you can make payroll, and you know they'll tell you, okay, we'll. So you give us, let's say, you know, five hundred, or maybe that's too much. Maybe one hundred AXS tokens. We'll give you X amount of dollars, and then you can pay make payroll, um, and we'll take the exchange rate risk essentially over time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, yeah, I totally agree. It is a really yeah. interesting way to align incentives because it's not just about the kind of upfront subsidy that these that these developers are getting. Theoretically, you know, the best developers are going to drive the most engagement, and that engagement should drive the entire platform forward. And so, as they do that, not only will they probably get a disproportionate amount of AXS, they will also see that that price appreciation as well. And so it's, it really is that virtuous feedback loop for, for those developers. So mm -hmm. I totally agree, Nico. It, it's definitely kind of core to the incentive alignment we were just talking about. Yeah, it's tricky because the, the you end up in this weird situation, right, with, uh, with crypto, uh, where we, we tend to treat token values as if they're real dollars, right? We, we value them in dollars. We look at the exchange. We say, I have X amount of money. Right. But you don't really have that money till you realize it. Right. Till you till you exchange it for something you can use. And that's for right now. Right. Like, obviously, if the world becomes more crypto native and these things start supplanting money in some way, then this argument's not really valid anymore. Right. But for right now, the actual value has to be exchanged for. You have to exchange for that value. And in doing so, that has side effects. Right. Like there's different effects as a result of that. And I think a lot of people, when we're talking about incentive alignment and value and things like that, we, we're treating it like it's equity or stocks. And it doesn't operate the same way as those things. And I think that's where you get into some tricky problems with the analogy of it being like stocks. And I think it could be more like stocks, right? But obviously then in the US, you start to get SEC problems and stuff like that. So that's a tricky mm -hmm. situation to get involved in to begin with, right? And you know, there, there are, I'm not saying there aren't ways to handle this, right? Like let's say, let's say for example, they need to make payroll and they want to be able to do so without uh, having to sell the AXS on the open market, right? So they go, hey, we need to make some payroll. So we'll sell it and private sale off market to Sky Mavis or to whoever, right? Like there's ways to cash it out without doing it on open market in a way that could potentially uh, crash the value in some way, right? And so th there are ways around it, but I just feel like uh, you end up in situations like uh, Ogami, for example, they put out a blog post where they were talking about they were trying to be an Axie Builders program and they had to peace out because they couldn't make payroll with all the rules that it had on it, right? And, and they would have, uh, being that payroll was an important part of that, uh, you know, they were they were going to try and fund it a different way because they weren't going to try and fund it off AXS. So they're like, oh, cool, we'll fund it off NFT sales. But that was against the rules. And so you end up with these situations where you, you kind of have to be careful if you're someone like Sky Mavis. If you restrict people from making money other ways, then they have to sell the token to be able to make their payroll. And and that's on Sky Mavis to make this tenable in some way, whether that be through stable coins, as you mentioned, or other ways of doing it. I'm not saying it's not doable at all. I'm just saying, like, this is dangerous territory to just blunder into and not realize that you're going to 
have side effects because tokens aren't money yet, right? Until you realize them. And I think this is a problem I see across a lot of game projects where they treat it like it's money before it is. Mm. And I think as we evolve this industry, we're gonna we're like better figure that out, right? Like, cause we're still I still feel like we're like in the hangover from the ICO phase where everyone just like treating like they could print money and like it is still money, but it's not yet. And NFTs have kind of like obscured that a little bit too. But I, I do hope this evolves. I hope that I'm totally wrong about this in the future and that people like sort this situation out. But just for right now, it's more like a, let's, let's pump the brakes on like treating it too much like money just yet. And like maybe think about, okay, let's, let's, I totally agree with you though, like in aligning incentives and making it long-term value, like the way you do with stocks or equity and things like that. Totally a good idea though. And I just am more like cautious about the way people think about it incorrectly. That, that causes problems long-term. And it's not like Sky Mavis hasn't made missteps in the past. I'll put it that way. That's true. But they're they're so far ahead of everyone else that they're just, you know, stumbling and falling uh, and, and clearing the path for us. I, I hope they say that way. I mean, someone needs to lead the, yeah. way, lead the way, right? Like, even if it's just their dead body pointing, uh, don't go this way. But Devin, someone's got to do it. Yeah, we have dead body. Or, oh, so negative. I know. We have, we have the fortunate Shame. position of talking about the future of gaming. Uh, a lot of these projects that we talk about are in the you know, more difficult position of trying to build the future. And we're definitely Actually, gonna see people yeah. stumble along the way. And that's, uh, that's all well, right. You guys are the ones throwing money at them. So, you know, <laughs> but you, know you guys are responsible too. You know what they say, if you can't build, invest. So, um, you know, here we are right. trying to like think or act as if we know, you know, what's going on <laughs> and we know how the world right, works. And exactly. in reality, we're just, I don't know. It's basically no. We're all making it up as we exactly, go. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's fun. Like, exactly. It's a good time. I just as long as my money's not on the line, I can enjoy it. More. Okay. So, as long as we're talking about you know we're making shit up as we go, right? Let me let me tell you because this is a bit of an answer to your point, Devin. Um, around you know they treat their token as if it's money. So I'll tell you about we're talking about the future of gaming. I'll I'll give you my view on the future of personal finance, which because we're moving towards a world where gaming is way more you know involved in everyone's lives, I think will will be related. And so the way I look at it is, um, and um, is essentially every person at some point will decide their like um, net worth allocation digitally. And so for example, I will, I will say, okay, for my li liquid net worth, I wanna be 20% in, 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 in Bitcoin, 20% in ETH, I'll have 20% of the global stock market, 10% in AXS, and, and then the, the remaining 10% is divided over a bunch of games that I'm playing. And, and this is just like a random example. And so um, there will be no, like we won't need like dollars anymore, essentially. Like it could be that we still talk in dollars, but the moment that I pay for something like a beer, there will be a, um, so funds will be pulled from all of my different pools and then like the transaction will be made towards the shopkeeper that sold me that beer and they will have their own you know little little matrix or a little little division um of like, maybe maybe they're more risk averse and less into the metaverse so they'll they'll like 100% in bonds or, or physical gold or whatever right and it just it gets distributed to their allocation and so there's no need anymore for in um and you know a like a dollar to hold, like, there will be no need to hold dollars or to hold this fiat currency. Right. We, we talk about everything converting to fiat as a way to make money right now because that's the, the situation right now, right? And I'm sure in the past it was about how you could convert your paper to gold, right? So I, I think we're just in transitionary phase. And I think, like, what you guys are talking about is, like, something that works better when we get to that mm. point. Um, but it, 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 are we getting to that point based off central bank digital coins? Like first, you know what I mean? Do yeah. we have to baby step through yeah. the government for like, I, and I'm, I'm optimistic about the future, but also very skeptical because I, I've seen a lot of repetition of certain things from the past. And I'm, I'm always hoping I'm wrong in this, the skepticism here. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's more just like, I hope, I hope this doesn't happen because I've seen it, you know, before, like, but I, like, for example, the, the way people value uh, net worth, for example, is, is tricky, right? Because when people like say like, I'm the richest guy in the world, but it's all in stocks and stocks can change value every single day. It's like a lot of people like it, right now, like a lot of people's net worth, I think is going to be very different next year than it is this year. If they're measuring it in mm -hmm. stocks and a lot of other things, because I don't think the economy is as stable as people think it is. And so it's situations like that where it's like, if they're not cashing it out to a more stable asset, for example, and not fiat, fiat maybe is actually one of the least stable assets potentially, depending on how things go over the next couple of years. It, it's a situation where you are 
treating your, uh, your assets like they're stable when they're potentially mm -hmm. not. And that's my concern for people is because they behave based off of that. And that's cool for right now until it's not. Yes. And I think people treat black swan events like they're rare. And it's like, no, that specific black swan event was rare, but black swan events in general are not that mm -hmm. rare. And it's, and I just, I worry about the situations with people because we get in this optimistic building cycle and building cycle. And then we end up with a crypto winter when all of a sudden like, oh no, we didn't see that coming. It's like, well, you probably did. You just were too, being too optimistic. And I, I just, I do want to power through mm -hmm. those things. I want us to just be like, it's summer building now. Screw bear markets. Like bear market just means we're in the cave with the bear building away. Like totally for that. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think this, there's some lessons to be learned in what you're saying for um, company treasuries, like crypto native game company treasuries, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're holding a lot of ETH when they sold a bunch of NFTs, uh, stuff like that. Um, yeah, there's definitely lessons to be learned. And it feels, you know, I've said this in the beginning, right? Um, a company that provides certainty throughout these times that takes the fluctuation in, in price risks on them, they, those must exist, right? Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, feels like there's major opportunity and, and major use cases moving forward because this, this, this fluctuation is not gonna end, yeah. right? And, and I mean, Right, and you guys are finding. I mean, even people, even so. think about you know, projects that did uh, public sales, you know, significant public sales six months ago. If if you don't convert that into a stable coin or, or fiat of any kind, you might have a significant discount of the capital that you initially thought you had. So you roadmap for one thing, and then you get to today, and it's like, oh wait, our roadmap was built around an unstable as long as it's asset. An algorithmic stable yeah. coin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if if. Okay, yeah, let, let's not get into the, the Luna USD uh, story. That's 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 maybe for a yeah. different time or maybe we'll never have to talk that's about it. That's the past. Yeah. Yeah, that's the past, yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay, let's let's move on to the, the next topic. Um, yeah, uh, Phil, you wanted to, to touch upon Merit v. YGG? Yeah, for sure. So this goes back to what we were talking about around, you know, kind of DAOs, the perception of DAOs and the, the way they're going to function moving forward and, and how decisions are made. Um, so, you know, the, the high level on this is, Merit Circle has seen a proposal come from one of its community members trying to kick YGG out of its investor uh, community. Um, it is claiming that there's just been a fundamental lack of of real value add, and value add's kind of been one of the, the token words of Web3 fundraising over the last year is, as the funds were just trying to get into every round, uh, rounds are kind of spiraling and becoming incredibly oversubscribed. Um, and so essentially what would happen is, YGG's $175,000 seed check would be returned to the company and they would no longer be a part of that invest investor cohort. Um, th this, is an, this is an interesting one because it, it does show what we were talking about initially about if anyone can propose anything, what can happen? Um, I think, you know, setting that aside for a second, this is a, a strange situation uh, that I think could, could only happen in Web3 over the last year where there's been such a mentality of, you know, rising tides raise all ships. And that's definitely been true, right? Better projects bring more people into the ecosystem, more people in the ecosystem benefits everyone in the long run. But in this case, we're talking about two direct competitors where, you know, any value add that YGG is providing to Merit Circle, it's essentially counterproductive to their core business. And when you look at YGG's core business versus a $175,000 check, I think they're gonna go core business every time. So in this case, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting iteration of what incentive misalignment looks like. And so, you know, who knows how this is gonna be resolved. I think YGG's already put out their, you know, official kind of professional statement on the value add that they have provided and why they don't think this decision makes sense. Um, but it, it is an interesting case study, not only in how the blockchain gaming ecosystem has interacted over the past year and how we've gotten into some of these situations, but also, you know, what is the decision that is ultimately made here suggests for the future of DAOs, the, the credibility of certain votes um, and whatnot. Really fascinating. I've already said this on, on the Metacast um, a few weeks ago. I find what's happening is in this specific case, very similar to, you know, I, I take insurance for, let, let's say car insurance. And then after a year, I'm like, hey, I didn't crash my car. I want my money back, right? Yep. It just, it doesn't work that way, right? It is like, um, there's like this, it's, it's like results-based analysis or something. Yeah. That's, it just doesn't make sense. And it's, that, ir it's ironic too. It's, it's not like YGG can go to Merit Circle and say, hey, you underperformed what we thought uh, you were going to do. So we want our money back, actually. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind <laughs> of a, it's a one-way street That's actually there. really good. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, as VCs, is this something you guys run into as well? Like, if you go invest in uh, a game, right, can you go, well, your game actually didn't turn out very good. We, we want our money back. Or can they go like, hey, you know what? We don't really like the value add that, you know, Bitcraft or Convoy is providing to this game. Here's your investment back. We had we had enough investment from other people. Like We don't really need mm. your help anymore. Or like, you know, especially ones like a a A16Z that are like super involved, right? Like want to be very hands-on. Like what if they're like, you know what? You're too hands-on. Get get your hands out of here. They're not welcome anymore. Like are those are the, the deals that you guys set up, is there situations like where that can happen? Or is it like contracts, right? As opposed to DAOs and guilds and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Uh, well, I mean everything that we do is formalized in the document. And so there is literally no room to go back on a deal from either side, right? This is an agreement that you make. And I guess like, you know, a hundred years ago, these problems emerged in, in, in like traditional worlds, in a traditional world and with companies. And then, you know, people figured out, okay, if we add that in our contract and the law uh, uh, like protects us from these, these kinds of, of, of issues. Um, and I guess what we're seeing now is, is, you know, this new concept, this new you know, token, like, we're giving legal power to uh, like a, a community of people um, and giving them voting rights. And so I guess the, the big question for me, at least uh, on how this resolves or revolves, no resolves is what legal power does a DAO really have? And, you know, because there's also different entities and, and like, I, I don't know anything about the legal or not enough, at least around like, regulations and, and different jurisdictions and how those interact because it seems like you have like a company and then you have a DAO and then you have a foundation and they're all like interacting and so yeah I don't know how this plays I out I thought code was lawed web yeah. 3 well like, why, why and, and that's, that's, that's the great irony of a lot of this is you know in, in these situations you're signing legal documents you're working with traditional lawyers and signing legal documents whether that's a SAFT or something else it is interesting how conflict resolution in the web three space is still mm -hmm. going to come back to the centralized courts when there's an issue. And anytime somebody yeah. has a problem, it's, you know, we're going to resolve this with the, uh, with the courts. And it is funny mm -hmm. how everyone wants it to be decentralized until they have I an issue. I got a genius business idea then. What's that? What do you say? Uh, arbitration DAO. Do it. Just, just build just it. Arbitration DAO. Yeah. Build it. Yeah. There you go. Just, and so people, people have to sign into that, like, uh, via smart contracts so that that code is law and whatever the arbitrator decides <laughs> is uh, is done, right? Because, you know, you, you have that. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily just a U.S.-centric thing. But we do a lot of things where we force people into binding arbitration and stuff like that to avoid lawsuits. But I wonder if, like, that ends up being a thing for these, these re resolutions so they don't have to go to legal world is that you say like hey here's some neutral parties in web3 that we know understand web3 problems and are a part of the old world but are like new world because you end up with that problem right when you try and go to the courts over technical stuff and you've got technically inept you know judges that are 90 years old that have no idea barely what a computer is trying to resolve technical issue like you know it's it's very difficult but if you have like arbitration that's done by web3 natives stuff like that maybe that's a way we resolve these kinds of disputes between DAOs or between guilds or these things that so it doesn't have to just go to lawyers all mm. the time because we know that's very expensive right like doing that then it, it ends up being pay to win sometimes and obviously we don't want those kinds of situations because we're about distributed distribution and like everyone being more equal and stuff like that and you can't really achieve that if lawyers are more equal than others you know mm -hmm. what i mean Maybe we can do that over time. We can become like a independent neutral party that helps resolve some of these conflicts specifically in games. Guilty. Exactly. <laughs> um, are you are you calling YGG guilty, Devin? Is that what you're saying or I didn't I didn't pick a side. I okay. just they're both. I'm <laughs> All right. Sure. There's two sides to every story. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, so let, let's see how this play, out, play plays out. And then finally, um, we were going to talk about the Illuvium land sale, Devin. You want you want to start your rants or <laughs> yeah, but start my rant about about Swampland. Uh, this so, uh, I I I like the idea of land, right? But everyone is kind of going about it in this very money centric kind of way, which is like the last thing you really want in games, honestly, is speculation. That's not what unless unless the game is about speculating, then that's fine. Like something like Upland is almost kind of about speculating, right? Like that's that's fine. But if your game's about gameplay and speculators a lot of times can just be value extracting in a way like they're they're detrimental in a lot of ways to the games and so these idea of these land sales that come out before games are playable who's going to be investing it's almost exclusively going to be speculators because they can afford to do it more 
so than a, a player more often than not. Now, don't get me wrong. There could be whales, right? Like, there's whales in this space. There's players who have a lot of money, too. Like, otherwise, no one would be playing half these Web3 games because a lot of them are too expensive for non-whales to be able to play. But these situations where a lot of people are looking at flipping. They're looking at, like, I'm going to buy this to flip it or I'm going to buy this to rent it. I'm going to buy this to lease it. These land sales, and you end up with these problem with, like, you know, especially metaverse ones or virtual worlds like, you know, Sandbox and Decentraland. But when it's in a game as well, it becomes really kind of problematic to be... And, and okay, let me let me bring, rewind this for a second. The reason I'm bringing this up is these the prices, the starting prices for the land for Alluvium was extremely high. And I'm sure Alluvium is a great game. There's tons of utility in the land, right? Awesome, cool, but the prices are very high. Now, the upside is they were Dutch auctions. So they were uh, meant to go down over time. Uh, that was meant to kind of resolve it. It did a little bit, right? So we had one day's worth of data and most of the sales ended up about a fifth or about 20% of the starting price. And, uh, you know, that's that's not too bad still, right? Where that, that goes down quite a bit from some of the starting prices, especially uh, for some of the more expensive ones, uh, you know, like the tier four lands, because they were in tier one through five, although the five uh, didn't get into the sale because of some problems they ran into that was just one through four. But it was interesting to see that uh, not only were the prices very reduced, most of it was paid in the, the Sylv 2 token. So it wasn't actually even... Uh, a, a lot of it wasn't Ethereum. So, like, you could you could pay in Ethereum, you could pay in Sylv 2, but a lot of people were just paying in the native currency of the game and kind of giving money back to the game. And so, like, maybe that's a good thing in that they're cycling the economy, you know, like, it, treating it like a sink in a way or something like that. And that was part of what Sylv 2 is for. But it's it's interesting that they that they did raise a, a decent amount of money, but I don't know how much of that was was purchases of Sylv 2 specifically for this because there was some value advantage in purchasing Sylv 2 and then using that to purchase mm. land. Like a little bit of arbitrage essentially in the conversion. Yeah. And I did see the prices of Sylv 2 went up quite a bit over the last week. Okay. So people definitely bought it either for this land sale or as part of this land sale. So it, it's it's a little you know mixed and we'll see how day two goes, right? Because day two is not over. Although I'm, I'm not sure in terms of the time zones, maybe it is over already, but... Uh, it was interesting to see like the the very first hour prices were like boom you know fomo and then all of a sudden it, it dropped very sharply as people went like wait i don't know like maybe let's wait and i, and I do want to see how the the day two and, and so I'll go for uh, forward because you have the people that were really really motivated are mostly going to be buying day one right they're the fomo types they're going to be like jumping in buying it speculating and then from there it kind of dwindles and we saw the dutch auction for example with champions ascension like they ran into problems with it's really stalling out and so they tried to do things with this dutch with this dutch auction where they did it in batches that were limited time but over a longer period of time so we'll be it'll be interesting to see if this particular methodology works over time to try and compensate for high prices because you're allowing for some price discovery via people being patient but this is like it's funny because you're 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 taking speculators who are not known for being patient, right? They're meant for pouncing on deals as soon as they see them. Like versus people that want to get a good deal and it's it's a tricky marketplace and I do hope Alluvium like makes good on the value of this land and whatever, but realistically, I don't think like paying $2000 for a piece of virtual land in a video game is going to be worth it until we're like ready player one territory. Mm. I just it's it's not like long term. I mean, I know inflation's a thing and all, but <laughs> I don't see that being like a great value. And I think, I, I mean, I hope these people have fun with the land, right? Like, and that the value is in more than just money. The value is in fun. But let's be honest, like two thousand dollars for virtual land in a game, like they're just hoping to sell fuel and whatever else to other people to make that money. And I always like to bring it back to like the Splinterland sold land and. It is kind of funny to bring it up because they, it's been like a year and they still haven't implemented it yet, but it was like $20 a land plot. And it was like, under, like people just underestimated it, didn't buy it. I managed to get it on like the last day before it sold out. And I'm just like, oh yeah, $20. That's going to be like, that's like $600 worth right now. And like, but I'm, but the utility is, is good. And the utility is absolutely worth $20. So that was an example where the land sale was totally worth it. And this was before land sales were super in vogue, right? Like before everyone was doing tons of, there was still like a little bit of a thing, right? Like land sales were still, uh, you know, a known thing. And it's not like Splinterlands came up with it. But that was an example back before everyone was like, pumping up these prices like crazy and i hope we get back to that territory where prices are reasonable again and people aren't looking uh to do that it, but you, i guess you could contrast it with something like crypto unicorns where the land is part of play as opposed to being like you're buying it for you know to sell something to other people 
and stuff like that. And and obviously, Crypto Unicorns is still a little bit expensive for land, and I imagine that will come down over time. It's more like early adopter tax, I guess, at this point. But uh, I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot to unpack there. I think from from land stuff in general. What is what was raised um, with the Illusion sale until now, in dollar terms? Uh, I heard at least I think was a twenty four million uh, in in the first twenty four hours. Wow. Um, I don't know if that was purely an F or a combination of F and Silv two, um, but that was the number I'd heard quoted. Um, and there is there's like a dashboard that shows a decent amount of data for anyone who wants to like go to. Uh, Dune. There's a pretty good one that's like ILV-LAN-SALE. Okay. Um, that's got pretty good data as well. So if you want to kind of watch it more live, um, I, I recommend checking that out. But it's uh, it was definitely quite a bit of money, right? Well, although, but I imagine a, a lot of that was probably in Sylve too, overall. Because if you look at the numbers, it's like was it? Uh, let's see, sales in F or no, total F raised was uh, 2800 basically, and then Sylve two was like 116, almost 117 thousand. So it's a pretty mm. big difference. So. Um, let's do, let's do some math here, right? Okay, you said twenty four million um, in twenty four hours. There's still a day left, so let let's let's say that they raise thirty million dollars. So thirty million dollars, and I know that it's it's not exactly dollars when it's invested in in, in the native token or in ETH, um, but let's I think it is because you could also sell your ETH or your that native token. What is Silv too? Uh, you can also sell it for dollars. So let's let's say thirty um, thirty million in dollars, um, and let because. In my opinion, I think um, ninety-five percent of those dollars are speculative dollars and not gameplay dollars. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Okay, assuming you agree with that. So, what is what is what is five percent of thirty? Yeah. It's one one point five. It's is that eighty uh, twenty-eight point five? I'm doing math live. It's probably a bad idea. Anyway, so <laughs> let's say twenty-eight twenty-eight million of that is speculative dollars. So twenty-eight million wants to see a return on investment. The kind of returns, the kind of multiples on, on investment capital that you want to see with very risky plays like this is like 5 to 10x, right? That, that That's what you're counting on. So, which means that the land speculators, let's say 10x, that you want to see a 10x multiple um, return, you want to see the value of your land increase from 28 million to 280 million. Which means that the speculators, so the people buying this land, expect that they will be able to extract 280 million worth of you know dollars today's dollars of value within that game which means that that game has to be has to be as successful as you know some of the top games out there right because they're not the only one able to extract anyone so they're counting that the game designers designed the game in such a way that the land value extraction is high enough for them to make that amount of money over 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 time um Right, and there was a good, good deconstruction that Novik did of like the sandbox valuation stuff that that really kind of put that in a good perspective of like you guys are expecting this to be like an insane, insane platform yeah. that everyone lives inside like it's Lawnmower Man two or something, yeah. and it's yeah <laughs> I I don't I don't think everyone's going to be like I mean maybe some people will get their money's worth and stuff like that and just for for context as well, uh, Silv two right now is at one hundred eighty nine dollars each so just to give you an idea of like price yeah okay. and it's it's so interesting too because these dutch auctions also anchor people at such a high point that once it's come down True. to 10 percent of the value you're like oh i'm getting an absolute bargain right now but you don't <laughs> you, you might not do the math that nico did of 28 million this needs to get to 280 to 10x it it's more like oh this is at 10 percent of the price if it just goes to the top of the dutch auction then i've 10 x um so mm. i think sometimes there's some there's some backwards math and we're also not used to being in an environment where these assets are on like on sale kind of quote unquote um mm. so i think people are really trying to capitalize on that and normally you would think that this kind of market maybe pushes the speculators out a little bit where they're kind of on the sidelines and you get the real gamers and so you kind of get the price sensitivity of the gamers and get back to the true asset value but i mean based on what we're seeing like you mentioned even at the prices these land this land is selling for um that's, that's, that's steep for a game asset for a game that isn't out. Um, so, Especially when they assume the game's going to be out. Like, oh, but, but I'll make that back over five years. And it's like, uh, can you point to a crypto game that's been out for five years successfully? Like, uh, good luck with that one. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there will be games that are successful for long periods of time. But that's not going to be the norm, right? Like, that's not going to be the majority. A lot of them are going to fail. And it's like, uh, even if they succeed, it might only be for a year or two. Uh, we don't know what the economic, the macroeconomic world will be like in a year mm -hmm. or two, let alone the individual economics of this game. 
And so it's like, I don't, you don't want to be short-term thinking like, oh, you know, I'm going to cash out in six months in this thing. But you also want to go like, eh, am I going to, am I, am I getting six months worth, you know, like out of this? Uh, because that might be all it lasts, especially for a game that's not out yet. That's where it gets even more speculative. It's like, if it, if the game's out and you know it's good, like that's why I was happy to buy the Splitterlands land because I'm like, I like this game. I know what value they're going to add with this. Like this is probably worth it, 20 bucks, whatever. I'm willing to spend 20 bucks in the game, no problem anyways. Whereas it's like, you know, you're talking about pulling out thousands of dollars and you're like eh, this, better, this better be pretty good land i mean <laughs> i better be able to live on it because i'm gonna be broke soon and i'm gonna have to like build a house on this land so yeah. that's the future value of metaverse land is being in a tiny studio apartment like with a vr headset on hoping you can kind of uh, it's gonna be there. fine because metaverse Devin is gonna live there and that's gonna be the more important part of your life rather Dude, than your real physical you're, you're gonna need existence. you're gonna need like three square meters to live in IRL and your metaverse hey, loft. Believe me, I'm all for that feature, <laughs> man. I'm all just, as soon as you make a VR headset, I can wear all day that's comfortable enough to where I can just have whatever I want in my tiny little apartment with like a feed tube or something. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, living it. I'm pro it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not bashing that. I'm just saying that's where you're going to have to go. De- Devin is already living one more. away in the future. He's already there. Yeah, man, I, I respect it. I respect it. Um, you know, one last point I want to make, Phil, you made me realize um, is... I think that people active in a financial way in the metaverse, which will probably be everyone, will have to get so financially sophisticated or the tools will have to improve so much. Because, um, and I think a very good example of this is Luna. Um, because th- this anchoring concept where you talked about, Philip, it's so it's so important, it's so relevant. And so what happened to Luna was at, at some point it was at $100. And then because of the, you know, the USD, DPEG and the mechanism where you could redeem, you know, your Luna for at least one dollar worth of, of UST. So there was this arbitrage. And so essentially Luna went from a supply of like 300 million to like, you know, I don't know, 500 trillion or something like that. So there was like a, a 1 million percent inflation over like a week. Yeah. Um, and so there were people like, holy crap, Luna's worth like a fraction of a cent. Like, you know, and, and, and five days ago it was worth a hundred dollars. Like, um, I'm going to buy like $5,000 worth of, I'm going to have like millions. And if it ever even goes back to $1, then I'll be super rich. Yeah. Um, not realizing this concept of, Hey, you know, the dollar term of an asset that is hyperinflated is like a bad representation and, and don't use these values as an anchor. Yeah. Um, I think that that's one concept that's important, right? Just just the amount of tokens in existence. I think there's other concepts which are important as well, which is um, the uh, tokens that are held by the treasury itself, right? If you have a governance, like for example, um, AXS represents the Axie Infinity Treasury, but the Axie Infinity Treasury also represents, also holds AXS. I'm sorry. So it also holds AXS. So essentially you can subtract the AXS that the treasury holds by the total supply of AXS to get a better view of what this whole thing is worth. And so there's a lot of like um, ways to to make things less clear and less like, okay, this is the market gap of this this thing or this company, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I feel like, this, this, like maybe we can. That, that's I think you know partly of what we're doing here. It's like th- thinking about these things and and putting them into perspective. Um, but there's going to be a lot of education needed, and and I feel like you know anyone who has any kind of success or that you need a lot of education if you're not going to be taken advantage of in this highly complex financialized metaverse that we're moving towards. And mm-hmm. I think it's inevitable, right? So it's it's really necessary. Yeah. Unfortunately, greed tends to override. Uh rational yeah. thought and con artists have been preying on that for decades and you know centuries because it's just a natural thing where it's like as soon as we as soon as we see a really good deal like hey it's 20 percent of the starting value you just don't do those calculations anymore and it's like yeah. and that's why price anchoring that's why all the people that did the behavioral economic stuff uh you know part of the the exciting thing about those was that they worked even if you knew about them and it's like where they were kind of education resistant mm-hmm. And so I think that's where the argument, and, and I'm not necessarily for it, but that's where the argument comes in for things like regulation, right? Where you start to get consumer protection laws and things like that, because they go, we don't think people are stupid, but we think people act irrationally in situations where people can prey on that and take leverage off of emotions or irrational behavioral economics behaviors, uh, like price anchoring and, and stuff like that, or decoy prices, all that kind of stuff, it, it works consistently enough that it doesn't matter if you know and I think, yeah, we're definitely like the nice thing about all this crypto stuff is, is it's forcing people to learn so much more about the way money works. Mm-hmm. 
what I worry about is people taking wrong analogies, like I was talking about with stocks and stuff like that, because in order to try and understand stuff, people try and start to use analogies from things they understand outside of finance, right? But one thing I've learned with finance is if you don't understand the fine details, that's that's how you get yeah. screwed yeah. very yeah. easily. And I'm sure you both know this, being in finance. I'm not in finance, and that's part of the reason why, because I know I won't go into details enough and I'll screw myself. But it, it it's one of those things where it's like, I do want everyone to get more educated. I want everyone to understand this stuff. And like, and I sound high over, overly critical sometimes, not because I want to tear it down, but because I want to build it up from the right foundations. I want to say like, hey, let's do this thing correctly so that it's not just rug after rug after rug or crumbling Ponzi or whatever, even if it's not an intentional Ponzi. It's like if it's just this unstable house, that's what I don't want to see happen is people continue to do that. And it sucks because it's like a lot of people are doing it with good intentions. Like they're building this stuff. Like they're like, this is really cool. This is worth so much. Uh, and maybe it is to them, and I don't fault them for that. But at the same time, like, until everyone, like, it's going to go in baby steps. We're going to kind of, like, continue to, like, the future of gaming right now is kind of making a- enough mistakes that we learn the correct thing to build each new step, right? Like, and I like to point to, like, early uh, mobile gaming, right, where there was just so many stumbles in early mobile gaming trying to get to the where we are now. And now we've kind of peaked, unfortunately, in kind of mobile gaming to some extent. But we did learn a lot of stuff along the way. And free-to-play was developed as a whole economic model along with that. And now we've got to come up with a new one for Web3, stuff that maybe is free-to-play-ish, maybe is not. Um, and, and it's going to be another learning period. And it's, but it's also forcing people to learn about money in a way they just didn't before a year. The term fiat is now like a normal thing. And that was like a derogatory slang, yeah. essentially, for dollar originally. And people are using it now like almost interchangeably with something like stablecoin, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, this financial literacy into almost this sort of slang urban dictionary world is, uh, is like, good and bad, right? It's good as long as people understand what the hell they're talking about, but chances are half the time they're just saying the words. Um, and so, you know, hopefully people that listen to this kind of stuff, like, the people that do want to educate themselves, like, continue to do that and then build cool stuff with that information. Mm-hmm. I think... Um Fully agree, and I think the the value of signaling will become very important moving forward. With by which I mean, like, um, if if I see a game being backed by you know Philip and Convoy, right, I'm gonna be like, okay, they're legit. And I think you know um, funds will have a, a an important role to play as a you know this is very highly likely not a rug pull. Um, that, that, what, like that's one I think you know influencers in itself will like people will rely on other sources to do the due diligence for them essentially um, that's kind of what YGG became to some extent right where people looked at it as a stamp of fill approval from guilds and then other guilds would follow them and it became like it became yeah, a brand yeah. around that and like you know it's same same with a lot of the VCs right like you guys are essentially acting as a sort of stamp approval. well they put millions into it so it must be yeah a sound project and maybe it may not be but that yeah you're right because people can't uh, do there's too much information to do your own due diligence on everything and so people are gonna have to look to stuff that's part of the reason like i mean not to like plug my own thing but that's part of the reason we're building something like nami it's to like help people to be able to do their own kind of due diligence on game economies through like analytics and stuff like that but at the same time like if you don't educate everyone on like how to understand that stuff you know maybe it doesn't doesn't help a ton but like you said reputation is going to be super important <laughs> for this mm-hmm. stuff in like who who is saying that and that's why you got celebrities right like hey if snoop dogg's p- pitching it right like this must be interesting or if Kanye's now going to have nfts like we do sort of look to that stuff because we look to other people doing that due diligence and then giving the thumbs up and we consider that a tacit endorsement and that's going to have to be the way forward because there's just too much goddamn information yeah. i mean that's there. that's what it's been in the past too and a lot of a lot of projects i've talked to in the past in this space they didn't necessarily need the money, but they wanted to raise $3 million from people that they viewed as credible across both gaming and Web3. And that was their stamp of approval of, you know, we're a pre-release product, but X, Y, and Z backed us. And like, that is our, that's our flag in the ground. Um, and so a lot, a, a, there were literally rounds where it wasn't even, you know, the, the, the capital was important, but I mean, equally important in the founder's mind was the credibility that they were going to get from, from some of the names that they were, they were associating themselves with. Mm-hmm. Feels like we've uh, come full, full circle back to the YGG merit circle story of you know um, if, if YGG is involved, then this is legit, this is legit. All right, um, we're we're coming up to an hour. I, I like to keep these podcasts shorter than that or around that. So um, I think it's um, this was a I liked it. I think it was a good first episode. 
um, listeners, I hope you like to. Uh, Phil, where can people find you? Uh, I am at Philip M. Collins uh, in most places, uh, Twitter, Telegram, anywhere you want to reach me. Always happy to talk about right. gaming and, and Web3 gaming. But best place to, to find us, by the way, is probably our Discord. But yeah. uh, how about you, Devin? Where, where do you hang out? Yeah, say, I mean, obviously in the Discord as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter as... I have MZO as well, but it's more the crypto stuff is on uh, OX, or, you know, 0X MZO. Oh, uh, shit. I didn't even know you had two it, Twitters. I have two, <laughs> you know, but it's... It's one of those things where you got to divide up yeah, your audiences, right? I like get that not too. everyone is interested in crypto and there, there's stuff I'm into you know, that what, I just don't do, but, uh, don't talk about on Twitter just because my like people following me will be right. like, what the hell? Why is this guy so much into <laughs> right? Into reverse exactly. serving Especially stakes? Especially the way like, crypto Twitter is. Yeah, or like well, why is he posting right. cat pictures all of a sudden? So I I keep my cat pictures <laughs> to my own phone right now. Um, cool. Yeah. So uh, easiest way to find us, of course, is just everyone come to the Discord, yes. right? Like so join. Well, you easy. can go to the Future of Gaming. No, it's like futureofgaming.wtf um, and then you can uh, you can join our discord from there and you know there we hang out we can have these conversations and if you want to help out so this is the, the the goal is to have you know the future of gaming become completely community community led and you know so if you want to help out if you think you can add value if you know over time um, we would like to invite our community members to host podcast episodes themselves write stuff um, a lot of exciting things we can do so um, yeah I'm, I'm very excited for this moving forward Phil Devin thank you so much for joining me um, this was really fun listener thanks for listening and yeah let's uh, speak again next week cheers <laughs>